Kafka on the Shore, Chapter 31 Just after one o'clock, I take coffee up to the first floor study. The door, as always, is open. Miss Psyche is standing by the window, gazing out, one hand resting on the windowsill. Lost in thought, unaware that her other hand's fingering the buttons on her blouse. This time, there's no pen or writing paper on the desk. I put the coffee cup on the desk. A thin layer of cloud covers the sky and the birds outside are quiet for a change. She finally notices me and pulled back from her thoughts, comes away from the window, sits at the desk and takes a sip of coffee. She motions for me to sit in the same chair as yesterday. I sit down and look at her across the desk, sipping her coffee. Does she remember anything at all about what happened last night? I can't tell. She looks as though she knows everything and at the same time like she doesn't know a thing. Images of her naked body come to mind, memories of how different parts felt. I'm not even sure that it was the body of the woman who's here in front of me. At the time though, I was 100% sure. She has on a light green silky looking blouse and a tight beige skirt. There's a thin silver necklace at her throat, very chic like some neatly crafted object. Her slim fingers on the desk are beautifully intertwined. So, do you like this part of the world now? She asks me. Do you mean Takamatsu? Yes. I don't know. I haven't seen much of it. Just a few things along the way. This library, of course. A gym. The station. The hotel. Those kinds of places. Don't you find it boring? I shake my head. I don't know yet, I haven't had the time to get bored and cities look the same anyway. Why do you ask? Do you think it's a boring town? Um, she gives a slight shrug. When I was young, I did. I was dying to get away, to leave here and go someplace else, where something special was waiting, where I could find more interesting people. Interesting people? Miss Shaiki shakes her head slightly. I was young, she says. Most young people have that feeling, I suppose, haven't you? No, I never felt that if I went somewhere else, there would be special things waiting for me. I just wanted to be somewhere else, that's all. Anywhere but there. There? Nogata, Nakano Ward, where I was born and grew up. As the sound of this name, something flashes across her eyes. At least it looks like it. As long as you left there, you didn't particularly care where you went, she asks. That's right. Where I went wasn't the issue. I had to get away from there or else I would be totally messed up. So I left. She looks down at her hands resting on the desk, a detached look in her eyes. Then very quietly she says, When I left here, when I was 20, I felt the same way. I had to leave or I wouldn't survive. And I was convinced I would never see this place again as long as I lived. I never considered coming back, but things happened and here I am. As if I am starting all over again. She turns round and looks out of the window. The clouds covering the sky are the same tone as before and there isn't any wind to speak of. The whole thing looks as still as painted background scenery in a film. Incredible things happen in life, she says. You mean I might go back to where I started? I don't know. That's up to you. Sometime well in the future. 
but i think where a person is born and dies is very important you can't choose where you're born but where you die you can to some degree she says all this in a soft voice starting out of the window staring out of the window like she's talking to some imaginary person outside remembering i am here she turns towards me i wonder why i'm confessing all of these things to you because i'm not from around here and our ages are so different i suppose that's it she says for 20 maybe 30 seconds we are lost in our own thoughts she picks up her cup and takes another sip of coffee i decide to come right out and say it miss aiki i have something i need to confess to she looks at me and smiles we are exchanging secrets i see mine isn't a secret just a theory a theory she repeats you're confessing a theory yes sounds interesting it's a sequel to what we were talking about i say what i mean is did you come back to this town to die like a silvery moon at dawn a smile rises to her lips perhaps i did but it doesn't seem to matter whether you come to a place to live or to die the things you do every day are much the same are you hoping to die i wonder she says i don't know myself my father was hoping to die your father died not long ago i tell her very recently in fact why was your father trying to die i take a deep breath for a long time i couldn't work it out but now i think i have after coming here i finally understand why my father was in love with you but couldn't get you back or maybe from the very beginning he couldn't really make you his he knew that and that's why he wanted to die and that's also why he wanted his son your son to to murder him me in other words he wanted me to sleep with you and my older sister too that was his prophecy his curse he programmed all of this in me miss aiki returns a coffee cup to the saucer with a hard neutral sound she looks straight at me but she is not really seeing me she is staring at some void some blank space elsewhere do i know your father i shake my head as i told you it's just a theory she rests her head on the desk one on top of the other faint traces of a smile remain so in your theory then i am your mother that's right you lived with my father had me and then went away leaving me behind in the summer when i just turned four so that's your theory i nod which explains why you asked me yesterday whether i have any children again i nod I told you I couldn't answer that couldn't give you a yes or no I know so your theory remains speculative I nod again that's right so tell me how did your father die he was murdered you didn't murder him did you no I didn't I have an alibi but you're not entirely sure I shake my head I'm not sure at all She lifts a coffee cup again and takes a tiny sip as if it has no taste. Why did your father put you under that curse? He must have wanted me to take over his will, I say. To desire me, you mean. That's right, I say. 
Miss Saiki stares into the cup in her hand and then looks up again. So, do you desire me? I give one clear nod. She closes her eyes. I gaze at her closed eyelids for a long time and through them I can see the darkness that she is seeing. Odd shapes loom in it, floating up only to disappear. Finally, she opens her eyes. You mean, in theory, you desire me. No, apart from the theory, I want you. And that goes way beyond any theory. You want to have sex with me. I nod. She narrows her eyes as if something's shining in them. Have you ever had sex with a girl before? I nod again. Last night with you, I think, but I can't say it out aloud. She doesn't remember a thing. Something close to a sigh escapes her lips. Kafka, I know you realize this, but you are 15 and I'm more than 50. It's not that simple. We are not talking about that sort of time here. I know you when you were 15 and I'm in love with you at that age. Very much in love. And through her, I'm in love with you. That young girl's still inside you, asleep inside you. Once you go to sleep, though, she comes to life. I've seen it. She closes her eyes once more, her eyelids trembling faintly. I'm in love with you and that's what's important. I think you understand that. Like someone rising to the surface of the sea from the depths below, she takes a deep breath. She searches for the words to say, but they lie beyond her grasp. I'm sorry, Kafka, but would you mind leaving? I'd like to be alone for a while, she says, and close the door on your way out. I nod, stand up and start to go, but something pulls me back. I stop at the door, turn round and walk across the room to where she is. I reach out and touch her hair. Through the strands, my hand pressures her small ear. I just can't help it. Miss Saiki looks up surprised and after a moment's hesitation, lays her hand on mine. At any rate, you and your theory are throwing a stone at a target that's very far away. Do you understand that? I nod. I know, but metaphors can reduce the distance. We are not metaphors. I know, I say, but metaphors help eliminate what separates you and me. A faint smile comes to her as she looks up to me. That's the oddest pickup line I've ever heard. There's a lot of odd things going on, but I feel like I'm slowly getting closer to the truth. Actually getting closer to a metaphorical truth or metaphorically getting closer to an actual truth or maybe they supplement each other. Either way, I don't think I can stand the sadness I feel right now, I tell her. I feel the same way. So you did come back to this town to die. She shakes her head. To be honest about it, I'm not trying to die. I'm just waiting for death to come. Like sitting on a bench at the station waiting for the train. And do you know when the train's going to arrive? She takes her hand away from mine and touches her eyelids with the tip of her fingers. Kafka, I have worn away so much of my life, worn myself away. At a certain point, I should have stopped living, but I didn't. I knew that life was pointless, but I couldn't give up on it. So I ended up just marking time, wasting my life in vain pursuits. I wound up hurting myself and that made me hurt others around me. That's why I'm being punished now. Why I'm under kind of a curse? I had something too complete, too perfect once and afterwards all I could do was despise myself. 
that's the curse i can never escape so i'm not afraid of death and to answer your question yes i have a pretty good idea when the time is coming once more i take her hand in mine the scales are shaking and just a tiny weight would send them tipping to one side or the other i have to think i have to decide i have to take a step forward miss saiki would you sleep with me i ask you mean even if i were your mother in that theory of yours it's as though everything around me is in a flux as though it all has a double meaning she ponders this that might not be true for me though for me things might not be so nuanced it might be more like all or nothing and you know which it is she nods do you mind if i ask you a question about what where did you come up with those two cords cords the ones in the bridge in kafka on the shore she looks at me you like them i nod i found those cords in an old room very far away the door to the room was open then she says softly a room that was far far away she closes her eyes and sinks back into memories kafka close the door behind you she says and that's exactly what i do after we close the library for the night oshima drives me to a seafood restaurant a little way away through a large window in the restaurant we can see the night sea and i think about all the creatures living under the water sometimes you've got to get out and eat some decent food he tells me relax i don't think the police have staked the place out we both needed a change of scenery we eat a huge salad and split an order of paella i'd love to go to spain some day oshima says why spain to fight in the spanish civil war but that ended a long time ago i know that lorca died and hemingway survived oshima says but i still have the right to go to spain and be a part of the spanish civil war metaphorically exactly he says giving me a wry look a hemophiliac of undetermined sex who's hardly ever set foot outside shikoku isn't about to actually go off to fight in spain i would think we attack the mound of paella washing it down with perio have there been any develops in my father developments in my father's case i ask nothing to report really except for a typical smug memorial piece in the art section there hasn't been much in the papers the investigation must be stuck the sad fact is the rs rate been going down steadily these days just like the stock market i mean the police can't even track down the son who's disappeared the 15 year old youth 15 with a history of violent behavior oshima adds the obsessed young runaway how about that incident with things falling from the sky oshima shakes his head uh, they're taking a break on that one nothing else weird has fallen from the sky unless you count that award winning lightning we had two days ago so things have settled down it seems like it or maybe we are just in the eye of the storm i nod pick up a clam pluck the meat out of with a fork then put the shell on a plate full of empty shells are you still in love oshima asks me how about you i say am i in love do you mean i nod 
In other words, you are daring to get personal and ask about the anti-social romance that colors my my warped homosexual gender identity disordered life. I nod and he follows suit. I have a partner, yes, he admits. He makes a serious face and eats a clam. It's not the kind of passionate, stormy love you would find in a Puccini opera or anything. We keep a careful distance from each other. We don't get together that often, but we do understand each other at a deep basic level. Understand each other. Whenever Hayden composed, he always made sure to dress formally, even to the point of wearing a powdered wig. I look at him in surprise. What's Hayden's got to do with anything? He couldn't compose well unless he did that. How come? I have no idea. That's between Hayden and his wig. Nobody else would understand. Inexplicable, I imagine. Tell me, when you're alone, do you sometimes think about your partner and feel sad? Of course, he says. It happens sometimes. When the moon turns blue, when birds fly south, when... Why, of course, I ask. Anyone who falls in love is searching for the missing pieces of themselves. So, anyone who is in love gets sad when they think of their lover. It's like stepping back inside a room you have fond memories of, one you haven't seen in a long time. It's only a natural feeling. You're not the person who discovered that feeling, so don't go trying to patent it, okay? I put down my fork and look up. A fond, old, faraway room. Precisely, Oshima says. He holds his fork straight up for emphasis. Just a metaphor, of course. Miss Saiki comes to my room after nine that night. I am sitting at the desk reading a book when I hear her golf pull into the car park. The door slams shut, rubber-soled shoes crunch slowly across the gravel, and finally there's a knock at my door. I open the door, and there she is. This time she is wide awake. She has on a pin-striped silk blouse, thin blue jeans, white tech shoes. I never seen her in trousers before. I haven't seen this room in a long time, she says. She stands by the wall and looks at the painting, or this picture either. Is the place in the painting around here? I ask. Do you like it? I nod. Who painted it? A young artist who boarded that summer at the Komuras. He wasn't very famous at least at that time. I've forgotten his name. He was a very friendly person though. And I think he did a good job with the painting. There's something, I don't know, powerful about it. I sat beside him the whole time and watched him work. I made all kinds of half-choking suggestions as he painted. We got along well. It was a summer a long time ago. I was 12. The boy in the painting was 12 too. It looks like the sea around here. Let's go for a walk, she says. I'll take you there. I walk with her to the shore. We cut through a pine forest and walk down the sandy beach. The clouds are breaking up and a half moon shines down the waves. Small waves that scarcely reach the shore hardly break. She sits down at a spot on the sand and I sit next to her. The sand's still faintly warm. As if she's checking the angle, she points to a place on the shoreline. It was right over there, she says. He painted that place from here. He put the tech chair over there, had the boy pose in it and set up his easel right around here. I remember it well. 
Can you see how the position of the island is the same as in the painting? I follow where she is pointing and sure enough, it's the same. No matter how long I gaze at it though, it doesn't look like the place in the painting, I tell her that. It's changed completely, Miss Aiki replies. That was 40 years ago after all. Things change. A lot of things affect the shoreline. Waves, winds, typhoons. Sand gets washed away. They bring more by the lorry load. But this is definitely the place. I remember what occurred there very well. That was the summer I had my first period too. We sit there looking at the scenery. The clouds shift and moonlight dapples the sea. Wind blows through the pine forest, sounding like a crowd of people all sweeping the ground at the same time. I scoop up some sand and let it spill out between my fingers. It falls to the beach and like lost time becomes part of what's already there. I do this over and over. What are you thinking about, Miss Aiki asks me. About going to Spain, I reply. What are you going to do there? Eat some delicious paella. That's all. And fight in the Spanish Civil War. That ended more than 60 years ago. I know, I tell her. Lorca died and Hemingway survived. But you want to be a part of it. I nod. Yep. Blow up bridges and stuff. And fall in love with Ingrid Bergman. But in reality, I'm here in Takamatsu and I'm in love with you. That's your tough luck. I put my arm around her. You put your arm around her. She leans against you and a long interval of time passes. Did you know that I did the self same thing a long time ago, right in the same place? I know, you tell her. How do you know that? Miss Aiki asks and looks into your eyes. I was there then. Blowing up bridges? Yes, I was there, blowing up bridges. Metaphorically, of course. You hold her in your arms. Draw her close, kiss her. You can feel the strength deserting her body. We are all dreaming, aren't we? She says. All of us are dreaming. Why did you have to die? I couldn't reply. I couldn't help it, you reply. Together, you walk along the beach back to the library. You turn off the light in your room, draw the curtains and without another word, climb into bed and make love. Pretty much the same sort of love making as the night before. With two differences though. After sex, she starts to cry. That's one. She buries her face in the pillow and silently she weeps. You don't know what to do. You gently lay a hand on her naked shoulder. You know you should say something but don't have any idea what. Words have all died in the hollow of time, piling up soundlessly at the dark bottom of a volcanic lake. And this time, as she leaves, you can hear the engine of a car. That's number two. She starts the engine, turns it off for a time, as if she's thinking about something, then turns the key again and drives out of the car park. That blank, silent interval between leaves you sad, so terribly sad, like fog from the sea, that blankness winds in sway into your heart and remains there for a long, long time. Finally, it's a part of you. She leaves behind her a damp pillow, wet with her tears. You touch the warmth with your hand and watch the sky outside gradually lighten. Far away a crow calls. 
the earth slowly keeps on turning but beyond any of those details of the real there are dreams and everyone's living in them